Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and we're coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. And our guest today is Father Skip Thompson. He's the Dean of Men at Holy Apostles Seminary. Uh, Father Skip, welcome to the program. Thank you, Marcus. It's an honor to be with you. Well, it's good to be with you again. Uh, we we had you as a guest in the Journey Home program about a year ago, and uh, uh, we've had great response to your appearance. And so I just apologize it's taking so long to get you to join us on Deep in Scripture. Let me, just a little background oh. for you uh, about Deep in Scripture. We started this many years ago. I remember years okay. ago when, when I would travel and uh, as the president of the Coming Home Network International, and, and people would stop me if I'm on a plane, or a, especially if I was traveling for EWTN, and they would ask me, what do I do for a living? And I said, well, I'm the president of the Coming Home Network International, and I help non-Catholic Christians uh, discover the beauty of the Catholic Church. And that often didn't lead to uh, discussions uh, if I had just Coming Home Network on my shirt. But the idea, we came up with a, a motto, if you will, that to become deep in Scripture and deep in history is to become deep in Christ. And the deep in history uh -huh. part was based on the Newman statement, to become deep in history. But the deep in Scripture was, was a way of communicating that the reason we've become Catholic, many of us who were committed non-Catholic Christians, is because as we became deeper in Scripture, we recognize the foundation for our Catholic faith. And right. that's what is behind our little discussion today, Father. And so what I normally do is ask a guest like you, a scripture that you'd like to talk about to help us focus on becoming deep in scripture. And uh, and so let me ask you, what scripture would you like us to focus on today? Well, I'd like to take us uh, to the uh, Gospel of John, okay, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 3 to 5. And uh, it's that uh, initiation of Jesus's ministry uh, by Mary at the wedding feast in Cana in Galilee. And uh, that's the exchange between Jesus and his mother at that moment uh, seems to be uh, rather like a put down. Um, <laughs> and as a former Protestant, and I'm a of course, thank God I've come back to the faith, but, you know, trying to understand Jesus and Mary uh, was always problematic, and uh, uh, Mary was like a, a stumbling block. It was almost as if there was this clever deflection of the glory due to Christ and his redemptive sacrifice put up by this Catholic Church, which, if you go to Matthew chapter 15, invalidates the Word of God for the sake of our tradition, um, and uh that was one of those little uh, verses that I thought, aha, uh, that's why I'm Protestant, uh, because these traditions don't make any sense to me. As I read things like John chapter 2, uh, I see uh, Jesus kind of putting his mother in her place. You know, And uh, so that it's almost like that verse was put in the Bible so that those pesky Catholics could uh, just put Mary uh, where she needs to be and just be a good mom and um, pray for her son and, you know. Well, that's it. <laughs> you know, Father, uh, it's that the idea of sola scriptura, which is that the Bible alone is the foundation for truth, 
conveys the right. idea that that the scriptures speak for themselves, and uh, okay. you know, or there's a there's a word for that perspicuitous. In other words, they just explain themselves that they they need no interpretation, yep. which is a funny thing because when you take a verse like this, and I'm trying to remember back when I was a Presbyterian pastor, when I might have, I'm sure I preached on on the the wedding at Cana um, and Christ right. giving the the better wine um, and like right now, if I let me read those verses you just said, and I'm going to read them with a with a snide uh, uh, presumption. In other words, on the third okay. day, on the third day there was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." And Jesus said to her, O oh, woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I mean, you can, right, you can make right, it right. say whatever you want, depending on the inflection you give to it based on your presumptions. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even different um, translations, paraphrases, uh, make that... Uh, kind of, uh, as you put it, kind of snide reaction, even more snidely, if that's the right <laughs> word. <laughs> um, let me, I, I, I'll refer to the uh, translation called The Message. Okay. And here's how it sounds in The Message. Uh, after, uh, after Mary uh, says to Jesus, uh, they have no wine. And here's the quote. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This, this isn't my time. Don't push me. Quote unquote. Oh. Now, if 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 there's not a bit of presumption in that, I don't know what what is. But see, you can see that's what do they call it? Eisegesis in that in yep. the translation itself. Yeah. And yep. not understanding who are we dealing with here. Um, so. You know, I want to try to unpack that a little bit. Okay. Um, and first deal, deal with uh, what Jesus meant by referring to his mother as woman. Um, he certainly is not, uh, we can't interpret him as using that, that word in the modern context. Uh, if you or I referred to our mothers, our beloved mothers as old woman, um, <laughs> we'd probably get a backhand. Uh, and rightly <laughs> right. so. Um, you know, mommy dearest, dear mother, uh, Nana, you know, these are, these are the usual phrases for mom. Um, and, but the interesting thing is the phrase woman, and I understand the translation, the, the word is gune, I think in the Greek, but you see that phrase, uh, in, uh, from Genesis to Revelation and, you know, Mary was, uh, you know, she was not just uh, uh, an ancillary kind of little fact that was hanging on Jesus's life in history. Um, she was not some little Jewish girl that randomly drew the divine lot to give birth to Jesus. And uh, if if she had not said to the angel, be it done to me according to your word, and, and, and kind of refused the offer, you know, God would have merely found another woman to, to uh, cooperate. No big deal. But that's exactly not what the scriptural context is. Um, Mary is 
the woman in a very, very special sense. It's, it's, it's a title. I think if we use the old English reference, uh, we would say lady. It's a, a title of nobilities. And uh, Jesus is referring to his mother as woman with this sense of her noble place in salvific history. Um, if you go back to Genesis uh, chapter 3, there is, as you know, uh, the, what they call the Proto-Evangelium, which is the, uh, the beginning of, of God's plan of salvation to be worked out after that fall uh, of Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, God declares to the serpent that he will put enmity between the woman and the devil and between her seed and him, and that she and her seed would crush his head and uh, they would bruise his heel. But uh, the woman there is a warrior. Uh, we have, a, in a sense, a warrior queen um, that's to be uh, uh, revealed later in history in the fullness of time. Uh, as it says in Galatians 4, um, Jesus is born of a virgin in the fullness of time. And so this is that uh, moment. Here's this point now when G Jesus is now ready to begin his ministry. And the woman, Mary, has accompanied this, this word incarnate, God with us, from his conception now to the initiation of his public ministry. She will continue to support and follow him throughout his his uh, days of preaching the gospel uh and um there's some other verses that lend confusion to to jesus and mary is perpetually virgin and so on that in the course of that which i'll cite but then there's also finally her accompaniment of him to the cross and there's where we hear the word woman again certainly no confusion about it here but at the moment of his crucifixion he refers to his mother uh, and the, uh, uh, the disciple John, who is there standing with her as he's dying, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Hmm. And so we have woman again showing up. And then, uh, and again, there's no question about the, uh, the, the intimacy and the, uh, the love between them and his care for his mother at that moment, making sure, because he's the only child, uh, Jewish law would have required, if Jesus had brothers, that they would have had to take care of her. But because he was an only child, she was, uh, she gave birth to one, uh, Jesus. He makes sure that mom is taken care of. But the other, the other time woman is, is referenced is in uh, Revelations uh, cha uh, chapter 12, where uh we see the uh, the sign in heaven, the Ark of the Covenant, which is who, who is who she is. She carries God to us as as uh, the prefigurement of the Ark of the Old Testament. She is now the Ark, uh, carrying the Word incarnate here in the New to us. But she's referenced at the end of time uh, as the the woman with the crown of twelve stars, with the moon uh, clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet. Uh, so Mary is intimated by both Genesis to Revelation with Christ in the middle. I mean, this this is certainly Jesus recognizes, and she, he knows exactly who mom is. <laughs> uh, she was prepared from the very beginning. So I love learning about this as a new, new Catholic. Uh, and I thought, man, did I ever have some assumptions about Mary, no pun intended. Um, and 
my my Protestant assumptions about the traditions of men uh, were just the opposite. I had traditions that were invented by men that just said, hey, if it's Catholic and I don't understand it, it must be wrong. Well, as it turned out, um, you know, from the early church fathers on, uh, the understanding of who Mary really is, uh, the new Eve, uh, the woman of Genesis, the woman of Revelation, it all comes out. And so the woman is uh, to be revered, uh, venerated, not worshipped. There's a difference. Right. Um, but definitely, definitely, uh, she is our spiritual mother in the order of grace. You know, Father, I want to ask you uh, this this idea of tradition. And, yeah. you know, part of it is we can, we can identify the traditions of non-Catholic Christians— concerning Our Lady, um, and they're not all the same. The Baptists might have a little bit different view than the Presbyterians or than the Lutherans or the Episcopalians. But I, I, I want yeah. to ask you another, maybe a deeper question, and that is the assumptions that or maybe we're blind to when we were non-Catholic Christians about how we interpret Scripture. In other words, that we had a kind of a, an assumption that you and I had the freedom to interpret a verse like this, or even maybe more than the freedom, an, an obligation, especially if we were a, a Bible leader or a Bible teacher or a pastor, an obligation to come up with an explanation to our congregation and how to interpret a word, a phrase like, oh, woman, what have you done with me? When we read this, right. because we took the word seriously, this is the word of God. But what do you do with a difficult mm -hmm. sentence? So, you know, I'm asking you, did you feel that way back then? And and how about moving into Catholic priesthood, identifying yeah. what do we do with a difficult phrase in Scripture? What's our obligation in terms of understanding and teaching that? Yeah, well, great observation, great questions there. Um, having kind of gone like you through uh, a, 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 a trial by fire, as it were, theologically <laughs> speaking, um, getting kind of burned here and there, um, I remember, and you mentioned the, uh, it was, I think it was Francis Turretin, one of the reformers, not well known as Calvin and Luther, but uh, who who wrote on the per perspicuity of Scripture uh -huh. uh, that a common man, that God was benevolent enough uh, as he gave us his uh, written word, the Scripture, that a common man uh, could, you know, could understand it. Well, historically, that has proven completely false. Um you know, you've got all these different traditions, the Calvinist tradition, the Armenian tradition, and you can load in all kinds of others. Uh, they're splint. It, it's absolutely, Christianity has become a many, a many splintered thing. Um, <laughs> and so doctrines, we're in a kind of a, a theological relativism in, 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 in Protestantism. And I don't mean that I'm not denigrating any Protestant believers because they love Christ and they're doing the best they can with the tradition that they grew up with. And they're trying to make the best of it. And I remember struggling uh, as I went to a, a Baptist seminary, read Turretin, did a paper on him, tried to get a handle on, well, 
gee, if, if this is if this little you know doctrine, this tradition, it's a tradition of the Protestant Reformation, that we can understand Scripture by just bringing our normal common sense to it, um, you know, it doesn't seem to be pr- playing out like that. And so I kind of t- I tack something onto sola scriptura, which is o solo mio. Um, you, because <laughs> you're on your own, you know. So you're you're really kind of in a in a, in a between a rock and a hard place. You they revere the word of God in in the scripture, but they unfortunately cut themselves off from the from the church which received that word, proclaimed it as such. This these are the you know canonical writings. Um, and those aren't, you know, you have to have a, a, a living authority to proclaim that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you fast forward to every single Protestant minister out there, um, they're, they're kind of, you know, stuck uh, afresh going, you know, okay, I guess it's up to me to figure this out all by myself. Now, they will have a, a probably a tradition of writers uh, that they respect within their denomination, but then they become little... You know this instinct toward the magisterium is is hardwired, and so they're going to refer to this. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I remember uh, reading a, a piece on the essence of Anglicanism because they were trying to get a good handle on what's true and what's not. And uh, one of their best theologians referred to the whole exercise as a, in theology as an ongoing conversation. Um, in other words. You know, it's it's what I call it theological relativism. It just sort of evolves. It just keeps evolving, and uh, there's nothing solid. There's no yep. there's no authority to rightly divide the word of truth. And the church, the Catholic Church, thankfully has that. And so, how do we do it? Well, we refer to what's called the analogy of faith. Uh, we look at the totality of the Scripture, which we just tried to do here with the word "woman," looking at at Genesis, looking at Revelation, looking in the end of John's Gospel at the cross, where the word woman is used many times. So you look at the larger context, and then, of course, then you look at how did the how does the church throughout history um, uh, understand uh, what's being conveyed in the Scripture? So you, you look at writers like uh, Irenaeus or Origen or, of course, Augustine or St. Thomas, and uh, you you put them all together, and uh, you, you know you you've got more than uh, just your own wits and uh, ideas to interpret at the end of the day in the church, and we're, we're we're required to do that. And the other thing I'll give a plug for too is the beautiful catechism of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing like that. There's our, our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have anything remotely like the catechism mm-hmm. to draw upon. Um, here at seminary, when I was a, a seminarian, I remember taking the class on catechism, which kind of seemed like I didn't need that. But I thought, no, I'm 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 home. I'm I'm home to Rome. I'm in the church again, and I'll take this course. It is required, so I had no choice. <laughs> but I remember sitting in this class, uh, Sister Marianne Linder, who's still on faculty here, uh, working out and laying out uh, the catechism. And as a as a Protestant uh, revert, I remember after several weeks, I would because I was reading the footnotes, and the footnotes were referencing Scripture and all the early church fathers and everything for their, you know, their, their kind of their, their statements, the various paragraphs, and there's thousands. I love it. 
I raised my hand once. I said, sister, I got to make an observation. And, and she looked at me like, oh, here's that revert, <laughs> you know. And I said, I got to tell you, this catechism is gold. And I said, these footnotes, I've never seen anything like it. We've got the whole history of interpretation at our fingertips with fingertips with this with this catechism. So I said, I'm I said, I'm all in. This is great. Thank you for teaching this course. And she, of course, she's just beaming. And uh, it was a great affirmation. But um, gosh, what a what a what a <laughs> I thank God for his grace. But what a privilege we have. Uh, in the church to be able to draw on something like the catechism, which just takes the scripture and unpacks it for us and, and makes it relevant and understandable. Uh, this is the, the, the thing Turretin was trying to get at the Catholic church has. And it's not, it's not the perspicuity of scripture. It's that perspicuity that comes through the Holy Spirit at work through his, uh, his appointed authorities and the teaching office of the church, which he's also created. So, um, there it is. Well, you know, <laughs> there it is. I'd like us to demonstrate to our listeners um, uh, the danger of this private interpretation again, um, and how yeah. easy it can be. Just well, all we to do simply is what I'd like, Father, is I'm going to read um, that uh, that verse, chapter four. I mean, verse four from the Revised Standard Version. And then I want you to read it from that, the message, again. And oh, I, I want someone to sure. hear the, the, the difference. So in other words, here's what the Revised Standard Version says. Now, the Revised Standard Version, for those of you who, who wonder about all the different translations, is a, a, a more literal translation of the Greek. And, um, you know, for example, the New American Bible is a little less literal or people have tried to take a phrase and then and then explain it a, a little to try and make it more understandable to modern listeners. Another good example is the Good News Bible, mm -hmm. which is a much more paraphretic, uh, if that's the right word, you know, trying to take it and make it more understandable. So here's what the Revised Standard Version says, and it's it's very close to literal. Oh woman, what right. have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, you read again the other mm -hmm. translation. Okay. The message reads, Jesus said, Is that any of our business, Mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. Unquote. Now, those of you listening, do you hear the difference that this isn't the perspicuous interpretation of Scripture, is it, Father? This is a reading into it, eisegesis, as you said, right. of somebody's prejudice. And which is why, as you've said, Father, the necessity of reading Scripture within the context of the church so that we right. go to the Scripture with an understanding of our Lord Jesus and with an understanding of Our Lady, rather than the other way around. You know, in other words, the right. Bible alone like right. it's a blank slate, and then trying to discover from that who Jesus is, or who Our Lady is, and that's the exact procedure that led to all the early heresies in the Church. Yeah, yeah. You know, and when you quote, when you quote um, the Revised Standard Version there, which is probably the most accurate uh, translation of the Greek uh, that's available. 
what's what many won't understand because they're not availing themselves of of, of the Catholic tradition um, in the in this best sense is that that's a, that that phrase what uh, what is concern is that to you and to me um, is an idiom yeah. or what have you to do with me that's an idiom and it's it's an, it's used it was used in the context of respect um, and even in a sense not not fear in the bad sense but we you know, we talk about fearing God and respecting God Jesus was referring to the woman knowing full well what that title was and saying okay uh, I respect your uh, point here they have no wine uh, and he was asking this in a, in a um, respectful manner uh, with his observation, my hour's not yet come. But notice that she basically just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Yeah. Um, Jesus goes ahead and, and responds affirmatively. And, you know, his public ministry begins at that moment. Um, the, uh, the There's another phrase in the Gospels, another time this phrase shows up. And it's in the in the context of spirits that recognize who Jesus is and says, Jesus of Nazareth, you are the Son of God. What have you to do with us? <laughs> they are they are fearing at that. They're fearing God. They respect you. They know who Jesus is. You know, and I would submit to listeners, Jesus knows who his mother is. Yeah. Uh, this is a different context, but it's that same idiomatic phrase. Uh, so this is not a put down. <laughs> not a put down. I was going to say, and, and as you mentioned earlier, if we were children using this idiom yeah. to our modern mothers, oh, woman, what have you to right. do to me? Like you said, we get the back of a hand. Uh, and so right. th- that should immediately <laughs> right. tell us, if we're Bible interpreters, that we have to be careful how we interpret this passage, because we're implying to Jesus a flippant attitude toward his mother. And, and that's why we, oh, yeah. we we have to interpret this passage within the context of our understanding of our Lord Jesus, who in his humanity would have been the the image of humility before his mother. Yeah. Oh, excellent point. Excellent point. Um, go, to, go to the commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, what's the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. Um, you know, yep. everyone, Protestant, Catholic, would agree Jesus kept the commandments. Uh, he would not have dishonored his mother publicly. In fact, uh, I happened to look up another verse in Deuteronomy chapter 21, which cites that if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, this also goes to a, a mother, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, yeah. <laughs> um, then the men, the men of the city shall stone him to death. I'm cutting to the chase here, but look it up. Chapter 21 of, uh, of Deuteronomy, uh, verse 18 and following. So Jesus would have never dishonored his mother, certainly not publicly. Um, he kept the law perfectly. And if he did remonstrate his mother, he would have been subject to being stoned to death, stoned yeah. to death. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know there's the full context. That, the message just has it. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The full context here, and there's another part of it, which because of time we we can't go into it. But I'm pretty sure, and I I did a quick look, but I don't think the Apostle John ever 
mentions Our Lady's first name. In, in other words, she's the mother of Jesus. She's our Lord's mother, huh. even at the cross. When he, at the yeah. bottom of the cross, when there she is with John, there he is with John, he mentions, um, um, let me turn to it really quick here. Uh, when he says, when, um, so the soldiers did this, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And that's where he says, woman, huh. behold your son. Uh, John could have just said Mary, the mother of He doesn't. So in other words, behind this yeah. is not only the assumption of the great humility of Christ, but the honoring already of the mother of our Lord, who tradition tells us was now living and being taken care of by the Apostle mm-hmm. John. So, again, right. Father, there's the the wonderful background to this story in which, to me, is, the, is this mother passing on to her son, the mantle, passing him forward and sending him forth yeah. in this first of the signs to begin the steps to the cross, you know, which yeah. end with him giving John back to his mother. I mean, there's so much powerful that's there if we're willing to hear it within the context of the traditions of yeah. the church. Yeah, and I'd like to also just share one last thought. Please do. And that's, uh, as we refer to Mother Mary uh, and her as our mother spiritually, uh, I'll quote the scripture, and I would love our Protestant friends to to keep this one in mind, Revelation chapter 12, uh, right toward the end of it, around verse 17, this is the great sign in heaven, the woman clothed with the sun, and she gives birth, and the devil is going after the male child who's to rule the nations with a rod of iron, referring to Jesus as the king of the earth, king of the nations. Uh, the, the devil, referred to as the dragon, uh, does not win that skirmish. Um <laughs> But he's not done. He's not done. And so the last verse says, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, I would, I would dare say um, that Protestants who love the Scripture ought to take a hard look at that and realize that they keep the commandments of God, or at least they should. <laughs> they all should. Uh, and they hold, they, they do, they hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the scripture refers to this woman and her children, the rest of her children, not just Jesus, but the rest of her children, defined as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That, that's all of us. Yeah. She is our, our mother, with a big capital O, our, uh, referring to uh, Protestants and Catholics. And so... Um, there's the word of God for you. Um, she's she's very special, and uh, she's unique, unique in the uh, in the uh, uh, communion communion of saints, and that she's uh, a warrior queen. And that's that's uh, just. And here we as we come into Christmas, yes. Uh, this this is the time uh, to begin to reflect on just who Mary really is, 
and of course, we could we should have another hour and a half where we could talk about exactly. the uh, annunciation and everything else. Well, maybe we'll do that, Father. We'll have you back as we close this episode. Father, I'd love to ask you if you could close us in prayer, especially for praying for all the Christians who are opening the Word of God during this time of year that the Holy Spirit would guide them into a deeper walk with Christ. Okay. All right. Heavenly Father, we lift up all who uh, love you, who keep your commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus, uh, who are all children of, uh, of the great Mother of God, Mary, Most Holy. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten Uh, minds and to open hearts to the fullness of the faith. Uh, Let Catholics be reminded of the the great heritage that has fallen to them. Let them not take for granted what has been given to us in the scriptures that reveals to us uh, the new Adam and the new Eve, especially in this season, which we love as Christmas, a time of of, um, celebration of the birth uh, of the Word of God to man in our time and space. Help us to embrace this and bless us all in our journeys as we continue uh, our journey home to you in heaven uh, through the trials and tribulations of this earth. Uh, Protect us in our battle against the evil one who pursues us and uh, lead us with your grace uh, to heaven and life everlasting. Pray a blessing upon all the listeners here. May God be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Skip, thank you very much. Uh, and our oh, Marcus, it was a pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you, and our yeah, prayers are with you pleasure. during this season. And uh, look forward to joining with you again. Thank you very much. And thank those of you for joining well, us you. on. Thank you, Father, and thank those of you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Again, our guest was Father Skip Thompson, the Dean of Men at Holy Apostle Seminary. Thank you for joining us, and look forward to being with you again on the next episode of Deep in Scripture. God bless. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.